I want to move right into this because we've had a little bit longer this morning, but I want to jump right in. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open up to James chapter 5. We're back in James, and, and we will continue to plow through. We've got just a few more sermons in this book, uh, but what we found out, what we've discovered here is a lot of good truth that teaches us some real principles uh, for real faith in the real world. And so I want you to hear, and I want you to listen. I want you to read along. It'll be up on the screen. James chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. So uh, listen to the word of the Lord with me. Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is ruined, and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You stored up treasure in the last days. Look. That pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your field cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous man, and he does not resist you. May the Lord help us to understand this and apply it to our lives. James begins this portion of the letter by calling out the rich. And listen, he didn't pull any punches, does he? Now, if I, I tell people this all the time. If when you read the Bible, it doesn't make you uncomfortable, you're probably not doing it right. Because when you read things like this, you go, whoa, wait a minute. We live in the richest nation in the world. So does this have anything to do with us? Because what James is telling them here, I mean, because this sounds like Occupy Wall Street stuff, right? What James is telling them here is, listen, weep and wail. Now, we may whimper and cry, but James says, weep and wail. These are... These are very outward, very expressive uh, emotions. This is this is this is high pitched stuff. This is the stuff when you see the the funeral processions in the Middle East as they're following the casket down the road, and you're hearing these people at the top of their lungs are just wailing out. We rarely hear it. Sometimes we hear it at funerals, but we rarely hear this. Sometimes we hear it in court when a verdict is passed that sentences somebody to death. Sometimes we hear it, but we don't hear this very much. But this is exactly what James is talking about. Weep and wail. Why? For the rich people now, for the miseries that are coming, that are just over the horizon, that are just around the corner. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming. And so we read this and we go, wow. Okay, first of all, I want to know what does it mean to be rich? Because I don't want to be in this group. Where's the line? I don't want, I, I want to make sure that if the line's here, I, I stay at least a couple of bucks under the line. Because if this is the plight of the rich, I don't want this. But I want to tell you who he's talking about here. He's talking about the godless rich. The unrighteous rich. I don't think he's talking about believers. And this is why. Let me give you three quick reasons why. The first is he doesn't refer to them as brothers. If you'll remember all throughout this letter when he's talking to the church, when he's talking to believers, he calls them brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. Secondly, he doesn't call them to repent. 
when James does call out believers, he calls them to repent, to change their ways, to change their life, to change their heart. And third, he offers no hope. There's no hope given here. And so when you put all those three things together, it's, it's hard to imagine he's talking about believers. And then when you see the context in which he's writing the letter, remember, we have to go all the way back to, to the beginning, to chapter 1. And, and Paul and, and James is addressing who he's writing to. He's writing to these Jewish believers who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Why were they scattered? They were scattered because of oppression, because of a persecution that took place in Jerusalem because James was the, the, the bishop, the elder over the church in Jerusalem. So he's writing to them, former church members who've now relocated through no intention of their own, no desire of their own. They've been pushed out. And listen, you've never lived through this. But listen, when persecution comes you lose pretty much everything. It's very likely that these people left Jerusalem with the clothes on their back and whatever money they could put in their pocket. They left poor. They left destitute. And that's the people to whom he's writing. Now, if you're poor and you're destitute in that time, what do you have to do? In that time, you became a day laborer. That's right. You lined up on the street corner, you waited for a farmer, you waited for someone who had a vineyard, you waited for someone who had an olive grove to come by and hire you. And this is the way it worked. When you were hired, you were paid for that day. At the end of that day, you were paid for that day. That money then would be used to provide food for that night and for the next day until you were paid again and you could start the whole process over. So what happens if they're not paid They don't eat. Their wives don't eat. Their kids don't eat. So this is an oppressive group of rich people. He is following really in the, in the footsteps, in the path of, of, uh, of, of the prophets of the Old Testament who condemned those who persecuted the poor and the oppressed. And so that's who he's talking about. That's, that's, that's what we're in. So let's examine this a little more closely. We'll do it quickly this morning. I know time's getting away. But I want us to see this passage because even though you say, he's not talking about me, there's some stuff in here we need to see. And the first thing, verse, in, chapter, in verse 1, he says, uh, Come now, you rich people. Again, the godless rich. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Most of us understand and accept the axiom that money doesn't make you happy. However, most of us would say, if you'd like to test that theory, I'll volunteer. You know, I'll check it out. I'll take the money and let's just see how happy I can be. Back in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a TV show on. And I I watched, okay, I watched it. It was a guy named Robin Leach. He'd come on, I'm Robin Leach. Welcome to the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And let me tell you, did any of you ever see that? Lifestyles of the rich and famous. Okay, some of you watched it, you bunch of heathens. Okay. <laughs> if you, I went to, I was trying to figure out how to summarize this, and I was looking on the, uh, uh, the movie database, imdb.com, and this is what it said about that, and I thought it was pretty interesting. It said, marking the start of a new era of celebrity worship. It's really insightful for a secular piece. 
Marking the start of a new era of celebrity worship, this program spotlighted the eccentricities and excesses of a different member of the rich and famous each week. Special attention was always given to the prices paid for various luxuries with which the upper crust enhanced their daily lives, ranging from spacious seaside villas to classic cars to gold-plated bathroom fixtures. Now, I got to admit, you look at what's on TV now, that was, that was pretty low budget for something about the rich and famous, but people watched it. It was on for decades. Shows don't stay on for a decade if people aren't watching them. People were tuning in. The TV at my house was tuned in at least time to time to this kind of show. So we, we watched this. This is, this is part of life. Now, what you need to understand is the Bible never says, never, ever, ever says that being rich is evil. That having money is evil. That having money in the bank is evil. But the Bible does warn us over and over again of those who would pursue money and those who pursue the things that money can buy. Let me share with you just three of these warnings. The first is, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You know this, right? By craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and it pierced themselves with many pains. In Matthew 6, no one can be a slave of two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and Money, And then in Proverbs eleven twenty eight, he who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. Now, material wealth, admittedly, can admit, can, can basically can alleviate many of the um, miseries that come along with poverty. Having money can alleviate those. That's, that's true. But all throughout this book, all throughout, all throughout this letter we've been reading from James, James has been reminding us, hey, wait a minute. You just got to remember this is temporary. This is temporary. So if you've got, if you don't have two dimes to rub together, James would say this is temporary. And if you've got $10 million in the bank, James would say it's temporary. You got to remember this is not how it's going to be forever. So when you, if you're living high on the hog or if you're feeding the hogs, it's temporary. And he'd want us to remember that. So let's take, let's take a look at this. How are we going to look at it? First of all, uh, there are four specific sins that James gives here. And let me, let me run through these. The first in, cha- in verses 2 and 3 is hoarding wealth. In chapter 4, it's unpaid wages. In chapter 5, it's living in luxury and self-indulgence. And in number 6, it's murder of the innocent. So we'll look at each of these briefly. Hoarding wealth, verse 2 and 3. Your wealth is ruined and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold are corroded and their corrosion will be as a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You stored up treasures in the last days. Now what he's saying is here's the present reality at that time for these folks. They had so much stuff, the people that he's talking about, so much stuff that it was it was going to waste. They had, they had so much food stored up for themselves that it was rotting. And here's the problem. Right outside, in the streets, right outside their nice homes, there were people 
men, women, and children who were going hungry and who were starving to death while they had food going bad in the storehouse. He says, your clothes are moth-eaten. You've got so, listen, you've got so many clothes, so many nice clothes. I mean imported clothes. You've got, you've got Christian deal. I don't even know what styles are. You can look at me and tell that. But you've got, you know, you've got all these imported clothes. They're nice and embroidered, beautifully colored clothes. You've got all these clothes. Matter of fact, you have so many clothes that you've got closets of clothes. You have to build bigger closets for your clothes. And you've got chests that are just stacked up. And he says, listen, they're moth-eaten. You've got, you've got, you got, you don't even, and here's the deal, you don't even know it. Cause you got so many, you never, you will never get to those clothes while people outside your door, they're walking around in tatters. Remember, these folks left Jerusalem with the clothes on their backs. Imagine how long, if you just had one set of clothes, imagine how long it would last. And yet, the rich, they had all this stuff, never use it. While people went about with clothes that were insufficient or none at all. He says, listen, you've got wealth. You've got gold and silver. But you just got it stacked up. You just got it stored away. As a matter of fact, it's touched so seldom it started to tarnish and corrode. While people are walking out in front of your house each and every day, people are working for you. You couldn't even go down to McDonald's to the dollar menu. Now, James says, here's the deal. This is going to be a testimony against you. That food that's spoiled, those clothes that are moth-eaten, that wealth that's corroded and tarnished, that's going to be exhibit A. It's going to be pulled out in your judgment to say, listen, people were starving. People were half naked. People were hurting. People were put out of their homes. And all the while, you were just hoarding. You were just more, 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 more. You were enjoying the blessings of God, but you never thought about being a blessing to anybody. Can I tell you something, folks? As a people of God, we must never, ever, ever follow that example. And I know when some of you, I could see some of you out there leaning over and talking, we just built a bigger closet. Is James talking about us? Well, he's talking about the godless rich here, but we can learn a lesson from the godless rich about how not to live. Who would have ever thought? I would have ne- 30 years ago, I'd have never thought this. If I had have thought this, I'd have been a rich man by now. So James might have been talking about me. Who'd have thought that building places to store people's extra stuff would be such big business? Who'd have thought it? And all I'm, I'm not, I'm not making accusations. I'm not trying to condemn. I'm not trying to criticize. All I'm saying is, folks, think. Think. If this, any of this looks like our lives in the slightest, this is not how our lives are to look. 
Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. He goes on unpaid wages. Look, he says, look, the pay you with help and the workers who reap your fields cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached, has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Not only are these rich hoarding wealth, but they're, they're going so far as to take advantage of the people who worked for them. Remember, day laborers. Man, if you could find an excuse not to pay that guy for the day. Maybe he took too long of a lunch break. Maybe he just didn't, he didn't bring in enough of the crop. Maybe, who knows what all. Oh, sorry, I'm not paying for you today. You didn't, you didn't do the work. You didn't, you didn't come through for me today. Well, obviously that happens. Somebody goes hungry. Somebody goes without food. They're babies who won't get what they need. What James says is the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of, get this, and I, he's intentional about using this word, the Lord of hosts. What does that mean? It means the Lord of armies. The Lord who is commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven has heard the outcry of those who've been abused and oppressed. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, we read, Do not oppress a hired hand who is poor and needy, whether one of your brothers, meaning a fellow Jew, or one of the foreigners residing within your town in the land. You are to pay him his wages each day before the sun sets, because he is poor and he depends on them. Otherwise, he'll cry out to the Lord against you and you will be held guilty. Let me tell you something the Bible makes crystal clear from Genesis to Revelation. God is profoundly concerned about the plight of the poor. He is profoundly concerned about the plight of the poor and he is profoundly disturbed by the abuse of the poor by the powerful. And God is saying here, there's coming a day I'm going to set the scales right. Now we need to hear this. We need to hear this not because we're guilty of it. The closest we probably are, we get to this is skipping out on a tip. Okay? But listen. I want to I wanna beg you, listen, I want to beg you, and I don't do that often. How you treat other people, especially those who work for you and serve you, is a testimony of your legitimate Christian faith. And when you don't treat people who are under you, let's go ahead and face it, who are under you in status, who are under you in profession, when you don't treat them with dignity and respect and give them what is due them, God notices. And James would say, don't be like them. He also accuses them of living in luxury and self-indulgence. And man, this hits a little too close to home for me. You've lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourselves. You've fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. What an imagery this is. You fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You can imagine fattening pigs to go to slaughter, fattening cows to go to slaughter. David says, uh, James says, you fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. 
You've filled your hearts with everything this world has. You've indulged yourself. You, you put everything, you crammed everything that your heart desires into your life. And it's so stupid. Because all you're doing is fattening yourself up for the slaughter. Again, he's talking about non-believers here. He's not talking about Christians. But listen, we need to listen to this. We can't follow this example. We do not have to give in to every whim that comes along in our culture. We don't have to give in to the commercialism that's in our culture. We don't have to give in. Listen, can I? You don't have to give in to your kids and grandkids with every cotton pick a thing they want. You don't. You could say, no, that's enough. I've got a roof over my head. I've got food. I've got clothing. I got cable TV. It's enough. I don't have to have everything that comes along. It doesn't always have to be newer. Doesn't always have to be bigger. Doesn't always have to be better. Doesn't always have to be shinier. You don't have to do it. And then he finally says, the murderer of the innocent, and you're sitting out there and going, well, my goodness, I'm glad he's gotten the one that doesn't step on my toes. You've condemned, you've murdered the righteous man, and he doesn't resist you. Why didn't he resist? Because he can't. He's poor, he's got no advocate, he's got no one to stand up for him. So we look at this and we go, wow, that's an extreme accusation. You may mean this man goes out and he beats his servant until he dies? Not necessarily. Could be. It's far more likely that by hoarding wealth and by living lavishly with no thought to the poor around you, by not paying workers fairly, that the people end up dying by starvation, disease, exposure. It was death by neglect, a lack of concern. And James says, don't follow this example. Let me, let me put a pause here. Ed and Juanita, look, look back here. Ed and Juanita are probably leaving this week. Is that right? Even me. <laughs> Love y'all very much. We will miss you. And we'll get their address so that you'll have it. We'll get their address so you'll have it, so you can go visit them. All right, thank you so much. Listen, if you didn't get a chance to know Ed and Juanita, they are such a sweet couple, and I wanted to take time at the end of the service, but obviously we, we've gone a little over and they needed to, to move on. So, um, But they'll be leaving this week, leaving Savannah Court and, and moving uh, to Sugar Hill. So just wanted to make sure that we suggest that. Um, let me just give you two truths. We can Two big-time truths that we can we can use to, to kind of wrap this up today. The first truth, go ahead and put it up there because my iPad's fritzing out on me. Christians have, look at this. Here's my first mistake of the year. Christians have a far, I know the difference. Christians have a far different attitude towards wealth and possessions than non-Christians or at least we should. Our, our attitude about wealth and possessions doesn't need to be shaped by the world. What James would say is, listen, I know it's easy to envy the lifestyles of the rich and famous. I know that. 
As a matter of fact, earlier on in the letter, you notice he said, when the rich guy comes into church, you're finally getting, you're finally getting somebody who can help pay the light bill. You're finally getting somebody who can, you know, help paint the walls. You're finally getting somebody who can help the church out a little bit instead of all these poor people who are, who are always taking and not giving, right? You're finally getting somebody in who can give. And he says, you give him the best seat in the house, which in the Baptist church would be at the back. But in that church would have been in the front. You give him the best seat in the house, and you kick the poor guy out and say, Here, just sit here by my feet. What James would say is, Don't envy the rich. Don't envy the rich, especially the godless rich, because life is way too short. And all that they've got they won't keep it long. None of us do. Find your contentment not in the things that money can buy. Find your contentment in Jesus. We're not to copy the lifestyles of the rich and famous. We're to live in such a way that shows that we understand this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Secondly, Christians have a hope that is beyond this life. Man, this ought to make you jump up and down. For the rich that he was talking about, where was their hope? Their hope was in the next newest, biggest, best thing they could get. Their hope was in their wealth. Their hope was in their clothing. Their hope was in the, the nice foods and wines that were placed upon their table. That was their hope from day to day. They went from hope, little hope, to little hope, to little hope, to little hope. What James says is we got a great hope. We've got, we, and we've got our hope that's anchored behind the veil in heaven. Nobody's getting a hold of that hope. We've got a big hope. We've got an eternal hope. They don't have that. When, when life runs out, when the clock winds down, when they close the lid on the casket, their hope is over. Our hope's just starting. We're just getting the ball rolling. James reminds those who, that, that reminds of those who seem to have it all may actually have nothing at all. Because to be rich and without God is to be utterly and desperately poor. Jesus said, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What good will it be if you've got the biggest house on the nicest lot, the best clothes and the fastest car? What good will it be if your name is on hospitals and and, and buildings on, on college campuses, what good will it be if you have all that and you forfeit your soul? If your hope is only here and not hidden with God in heaven. Listen, millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of poverty-stricken Christians have died, are dying, and will die in their Poverty. Some will starve to death. Some will die from exposure. Some will die because of disease. And some will be killed. Yet these destitute men and women who have nothing in this world have a hope that they will inherit everything. Believer, if it belongs to Jesus, it belongs to us.
Do you hear that? If it belongs to Jesus, it belongs to us. There's our hope. I am the richest man in the world. And so are you, the richest man or the richest woman in the world. No matter what's in your bank account, no matter what's in your pocket right now, no matter where you live, and no matter what your experience is. Blessed are those, Jesus said, who are poor. Or in another translation, poor in spirit. Meaning, whose hope is not in this world. Because theirs is the kingdom of God. If you are a believer, then yours is the kingdom of God. And that is where your hope ought to be. It's a matter of the heart. Where where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So let me wrap it up. As a church, we have an obligation. As a people of God, we have an obligation to do all we can in praying and in physical exertion and sacrifice to set a different example for the world. If our treasure is truly in heaven, then our hearts need to be shaped by heaven. We can't afford to be drawn into the way of the world thinks. We, we, the, this world cannot afford for us to abandon the weak, to abandon the poor, to abandon the oppressed, and to abandon those who've been forgotten by everybody else. If we want to make a difference in the world, then we're going to have to be different from the world. Our role models cannot be, they must not be, those who have amassed great wealth on earth. Our role models need to be those who have poured themselves out for the sake of the kingdom. People like Jim Elliott, who at 28 years old, trying to take the gospel to an unreached people group in Ecuador, was killed. Killed by the very people he wanted to save. But earlier he had written something that needs to be etched into your heart and mind. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let's pray. Father God, your word is often challenging. And we, when it's challenging, sometimes we want to ignore that challenge. We just want to skip right over that and see if there's a happier verse, a few verses down. But Lord, even though this isn't talking to most of us, maybe not any of us, in the sense that, that, that we're not the godless rich. There's much, much we can learn from their lifestyles that we don't want in ours. There's a different way that we can live that's not consistent with the world's values. Your word tells us that we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, pressed into this world's cookie cutter. But instead, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're to have a new mind, the mind of Christ in us. Lord God, I want to pray for each of us right now that we would take a good, honest, hard look at our lives. That we'll do an evaluation of what we're doing with our money and the possessions, the things you've entrusted to us as stewards and caretakers. Are we simply enjoying it? Are we following the pattern of those who are just self-indulgent? 
Do we not give a thought to those who don't have adequate food, adequate clothing, clean water, roof over their heads, protection? God, I just want to ask that you do something to change us from the inside out. Don't let us be content to go on like everything has been going for the last few years of our lives. God, we want you to come in and stir us up. We want this word to be so penetrating and so powerful and so transforming that, God, we leave this place different than we came. We're not content just to enjoy what we have. Lord, you've given it to us to enjoy, but we're not content simply to enjoy what we have. that we'd have a heart like Jim Elliott that we would pour ourselves out that we would follow the example of Jesus who poured himself out God show us how and we'll follow Lord, if there are those who need to come and pray, you draw them. If there are those who need your son, Jesus, draw them. If there are those who need a home, church home, place to belong, then draw them. Lord, this is your time. Do with us as you will. In Jesus' name, amen.